Morning, Brookside. It's great to see you, and uh, yeah, as Steve said, welcome, and uh, if you're new with us, uh, it's great to have you here <clears throat> with us this morning, praying that you have a, just a great experience, and um, yeah, what a joy it is for us to be able to, to worship together this morning. Well, as Steve said, we're starting a new series this morning. We're really excited uh, about this series. It's called Anchors, and uh, it's a three-week-long series. And to get our minds kind of thinking about the topic this morning, I, I want to ask you a question. When you, when you think about life, when you think about the, what you would say are the essentials, when you think about maybe the, the mo- you would say is the most important components to a person's life, what are the things that you would say come to the top for you? What are the things that really rise to the surface? What are the things that you would say, <clears throat> this is vital, this is really, really important? Um, it might be things that you've got on your wish list to insert into your life. It might be things you'd say, that's on my to-do list. It might be things you'd say, that's on my bucket list. But we can all come up with these things where we would say, this is, I would say, of most importance. And the reason why we have these lists, the reasons why it's not hard for us to come up with those things is because we know, we think of those things, and when we do, we think, okay, that's the kind of thing that's going to deliver joy to my life. That's going to be maybe the thing that saves me some money. Uh, That's going to be the thing maybe that provides fulfillment. That might be a blessing to other people. That might bring security to my life. Whatever that list is, we have reasons like that, but ultimately what we're saying with that list is this. We're saying these are the things that ultimately this is what we believe will lead us to a life that we want to live. Let me ask you another question. When it comes to your faith, faith in Jesus Christ, what would you say is most important? Uh, What rises to the top for you when you would say, okay, if if there was anything that's essential for a person to have, if they're going to thrive in a relationship with Jesus Christ, what are the things that you would say rise to the very top? What are the essentials, not just for an average relationship with God, but a a thriving one, a life-giving, a satisfying one? In this series, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about three things that rise to the top for us as a church as we look to be faithful to God and as we look to impact as many people in our city as we possibly can with the truth of Jesus Christ. These are three things that we're unapologetically saying, these rise to the top. Several months ago, our staff began asking this very simple question, what is most important And so we've been seeking God. We've been looking at the scriptures. We've been thinking about ministry over a lot of years. And we've been saying, what is most important as we seek to impact lives and as we seek to honor God with our church? What is most important? And so Steve's been leading our staff in a lot of hours of meetings, wrestling through that question. And what we're going to do in this series is we're going to unpack the top three things. We're going to unpack what we're calling essentials. And in this series, we're calling them, these are our anchors. These are things that are so important to us. Think for a second about the purpose of an anchor. Maybe you've been out boating or fishing, and, and, and you know what it's like to be out, and you turn off the motor, and, and, and not before long, you maybe look up and you go, whoa, we've, we've drifted. We've gone maybe quite a distance even in a very short amount of time. Or maybe even worse yet, maybe it's on the bad side, you are in coastal waters and you want to stay close to shore, but you never let your anchor down. And before you know it, in just a matter of moments, you find yourself, you can drift off into sea. It's not a place maybe you want to be. Think about what anchors do for us. What do they do? Anchors keep us grounded. Uh, Anchors keep us from going adrift. Anchors keep us where we want to be. They afford us the opportunity to continue on a path when, where we want to end up, where we want to go. 
You know, I was thinking about this series last several weeks, and I asked myself this question this week, a couple of different times. I said to myself, Jeff, how important do you think these three anchors are for a person's life? And then I asked this question, how important do you think these three anchors are for the life of our church? And when I asked myself that question, three faces quickly came to my mind, and I knew how strong my response was. Those three faces were the faces of my three children, our kids, right? Now, we love our kids dearly. And so when I think about this series, I thought about my three kids, and I thought about the fact that if they grew up, kids that we dearly love, if they grew up and, and as children and then as teens and then as young adults, if they went through life into adulthood, clear into adulthood, and they had these three things present, I thought to myself, they will thrive. They will live a life that is satisfying. They will live a life, they will say, well, I don't regret my life. No, I look at my life and I go, this was awesome. I'm thriving. I am deeply satisfied. I'd even go further. I would say this, if I could ask God for just three things to be true, three things to be a part of the people that I love the most, to be a part of their lives, I would choose these three things, just three because here's what I know, that if you and if I, if we have these three things in our lives, we're going to be living a life in line with what God would have for us. We're going to be living a life in line with the kind of life that God desires for us. God, the one who loves us more than any of us can love each other or our own families, right? And so as we explore these three anchors, we're going to hear about the how and the why of why these are so important to our lives. So with that said, with that as kind of a setup for really the, the weight of this series, would you pray with me? We're not going to pray just for this morning, but let's just go to the Lord and let's say, Lord, would you bless this entire series and would you do something strong in our, in our church? So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can worship you in this place. And Lord, we just want to pray right now that you would do a great work in the next three weeks. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We come to you with open hearts this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me unpack for you a little bit where we're going with this particular series. These three things that rise to the top, essentials for a thriving relationship with Christ, I want to tell you what they are. Here, here we go. Three things that we would, number one, worship Christ, number two, that we would live in community, and number three, that we would be the kind of people that we are on mission. First, that we would worship Christ, that we would live in community, and that we would be on mission. Mission. This morning we're going to talk about what does it mean to worship Christ, really, and, and why is it so important. Next week, as Pastor Steve said, he's going to dive into that whole top, topic about why it's better to not do life alone. And then the last week, we're going to look at what does it mean to live on mission? What does it mean to live with no regrets, to live a life where we say there's a purpose greater than just serving myself? So I promise you, you're not going to want to miss a week of this series. So this morning, what does it mean to worship Christ? Now, when you think about defining the word worship, um, things might come to your mind like it means to exalt, it means to adore, it means to, to, to lift high, to raise, maybe to, to honor. But really the, the starting place for us this morning really needs to be in asking the question, very simple question, but important, why? Why is it so important to worship Christ? And so for that, we've got to look clear back to the beginning of the scriptures, clear back to the book of Genesis, and we find our answer there. Let me read this to you, Genesis 1.27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
Now, here's what this means, and here's why this is so important. God is our creator. Now, know this. None of you are here by accident. Not a single person is here by accident this morning. He knows who you are. And we were created in relationship with God from the very beginning. We were created in relationship with God by design. We don't exist apart from him. He's our maker. He is above us. We are his creation, and creation worships its creator. Luke, um, one of the, the gospel writers in the New Testament, he, he recorded this story of, of something that happened in the, life, uh, to, in the life of Jesus. And Jesus was approaching the city of Jerusalem, and, and Jesus was surrounded at this time with, with people that knew him well. He was surrounded with people that had seen him do miracles. They had been around him. They, they knew who he was. They had witnessed the kind of life that he lived. And so when Jesus approached them, when he came into Jerusalem, these people, this crowd of people, they began to worship Jesus. They began to, to say things. I mean, just imagine this scene. They began to say things like this. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. And then they said this. Glory, worship. Glory in the highest. But then in this story, there's a very defining moment because there were others in the crowd who approached Jesus and they said, Jesus, you've got to tell these guys to be quiet. You've got to tell these guys to quit worshiping you. They can't do that. And in a very defining moment, Jesus replied to them. He said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, if they don't worship me, the stones will cry out. In essence, what Jesus was saying was, I will be worshipped. Whether it's my creation, whether it's people, whether it's even these stones that I've made, Jesus was making it very clear, I will be worshipped. The scriptures go on to say, and this is a very sobering reality, that regardless of how or who we choose to worship in this life, the scriptures are very clear that there will be a day, the scriptures say, that, that every knee and every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow before the Lord. Everyone, regardless of what we've chosen here, everyone someday will worship Jesus Christ. These people, though, in this, in this crowd, what were they doing? They were doing what they were created to do, worshiping their creator. Now, they had the order right, but when that order gets messed up, when God's creation doesn't worship the creator, but when the creation worships other created things, Things go south. You know this. Things get messy. People get hurt. People get let down. People take bunny trails away from the thing that would bring them greatest satisfaction in life. We all know that this is true. I think we'd easily agree to this. We all worship something. We all worship something. It could be a relationship. could be a possession. could be your kids. could be a career path. could be a hobby. We are all experts in worship. We are experts in worship. And we are all worshiping whatever gets the longing, whatever gets the, the highest satisfaction in our hearts. Let me give you an example of this. There was a, a prophet named Jeremiah in the Old Testament. And this prophet, Jeremiah, he stood among this people, and he had a really tough job, really, he had to deliver a message from God to a group of people, but it wasn't the kind of message that you would look forward to giving. It wasn't, it wasn't good news. It was the kind of message that you wouldn't want the Lord to speak to you. But one thing was for sure, it was honest. It was very straightforward. You can appreciate that. The Lord looked at this group of people, 
These were people, though, that had once found their greatest satisfaction in God. They had been a group of people that they were wholehearted worshipers of God at one point. But he looked at them and he said, you know, we've got two problems. And he said to them in Jeremiah chapter 2, he said, they have forsaken me, meaning this, they have gone their own way. They have worshipped other things. Later on, he said, they have as many idols as there are cities. They've got all sorts of idols. They've got all sorts of different things that they've created that they're worshiping, that they're getting their greatest satisfaction from. He says, they have forsaken me. The spring of living water. And then he paints this picture. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now with this image of a cistern in their minds on a daily basis, you can imagine this, this, these words, they landed with force. Because they would have known what that meant to have had a broken cistern, to have had a cistern that had a crack in it, that the plaster didn't hold, that the water leaked through, that it didn't stay, that it didn't satisfy, that it didn't provide. And so God says to them, hey, I am not just a cistern even, I'm a spring. I'm a spring of living water. I, I provide, I will not fail. I'm abundant, I'm unfailing. And I just wonder this, I just wonder as Jeremiah spoke to them, I wonder if there were certain people in the crowd that day when they heard Jeremiah speak, I just wonder if there were certain people that went, wow, I think about that relationship. Boy, I think about that idol. I think about that thing that I put in my life. I think about that addiction and I, and I just, I agree with you, Jeremiah. I would agree with what you're saying. It doesn't provide. It doesn't come through. It doesn't provide me the lasting thing. It doesn't satisfy now know this, the Lord spoke these words to these people out of his love for them because he knew that the deepest longings of their heart, this is true of us as well, could only be satisfied with him and with him alone. An early church father put it very well. He said this, speaking of God, he said, you have made us and you have drawn us to yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You'll hear people say things like this. Um, they'll say, people that are following Christ, they'll say, you know, when I began to follow Christ, there were certain things that before that, they used to look so appealing to me. I mean, they were just, I can relate to that myself before I knew the Lord. There were certain things that were just so appealing and just, they were so important, and, but yet they were unsatisfying. But people who were following Christ, oftentimes they'll say, you know what, I, I don't even long for them like, like I used to because I've got something that actually is satisfying. And what they're proclaiming is that they're finding and they're expressing their greatest satisfaction in God alone. John Piper, he's a pastor and a, really a theologian of our time, he made this statement. He said, God is most glorified in us, meaning that he is most worshipped. God is, God is most highly honored in us when we are most, here it is, satisfied in him. So here's what it means to worship Christ, our first anchor, the first essential thing to a thriving relationship with God. If you're taking notes, jot this definition down. Here it is. To worship Christ means that we're finding and expressing our greatest satisfaction in God. One author put it like this. He said, when you love God, you want to express it. This is called worship. Jeremiah, he spoke to this, this group of people and he looked at them and he knew that, okay, while you're finding and you're expressing your satisfaction in things that will not satisfy, we are all expert worshipers. We are experts at finding things to worship 
but they oftentimes are things that do not satisfy. And our Heavenly Father looked at that group of people as he would look at us, and he had pain in his heart because he watched their struggle, and he longed for them to return to him. He's saying, I'm the spring. I, I will not fail you. A friend of mine was telling me that he, he reminds his kid, he, kids, he says this to them every night, so he's putting them to bed, and he says to them, there is no life that could be better than choosing life with God at the center. Now he says that to them every night. There is no life that could be better than choosing life with God at the center. He says that to them each night because he knows that they will find their satisfaction somewhere. Everyone does. They will find their satisfaction somewhere, but out of love and really out of wisdom, he's saying, I want them to find it in the most satisfying place possible. They'll never regret it. Now, I want to I call a little time out here, and I, I want you to, um, to do something, and, and you don't have to share your answer with anybody after church or anything like that, but I want you to really give this question some honest thought. If you were to rate your level of worshiping Christ, where would you put it? Where would you rate your level of passion for worshiping Jesus Christ? Would you say that you are a worshiper? Would you say, and, and let me draw this, if, if I put worship Christ up here at the top, would you say that you are a person, you would say regularly, consistently, this would be true of me, I am a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And so when you think about what brings you joy, when you think about what you long for, when you think about what brings you satisfaction, when you think about if there's anything that was ever taken away from me, oh, I just can't imagine it. If the answer to that question is Christ, then you are a worshiper of Christ. Or maybe for you this morning, you would say, you know what, I don't know that I would say that. Maybe you would say you're a worshiper, but maybe you would say your worship has even been displaced. You would say, maybe, you, you, we would all acknowledge that. I think that we are worshipers. But maybe you would say, I don't know that it's Christ, but you can fill in the blank. You would say, that's the thing that gets my affection. That's the thing maybe that brings me most satisfaction. Or you would say, when I think about worshiping Christ, I think I'm down here, and I would say my worship of Christ seems flat. It seems a bit forced, a bit routine, a bit obligatory. It's hard to kind of muster it up. And or you would say, you know what, I can name very quickly the thing that I place in this box that's not Christ, it's something else. And you would say very quickly, this, that's the thing for me. You know, when I think about this and I think about what's it like to be down here and what's it like to be up here, the big difference is this. Up here what you're saying is I find and I express not just some satisfaction, but I find and express my greatest satisfaction in God. And I've got to tell you, when I think about myself and when I think about all of us, I don't want any of us to be down here. We don't want to be down here because down here doesn't satisfy. So this week we've been asking the question, okay, how do we get from here to there? How do we get from a place where we would say, okay, I don't want to be there anymore. How do we get to a place where we would say, I am satisfied. I am investing my life in things that will have a return, big time. I am living a life where I'm fully satisfied in Christ. So how do we get from here to there? How do we cultivate, in a sense, you could say it differently, how do we cultivate really a heart of worship? And so I want to just go this route now. I want to give you three opportunities, three things that in your life, in my life, in our private lives, in our corporate, 
three things that you could say very practically, this is how I can cultivate a heart of worship, a heart that is most satisfied in life and in God. So let's look at each. Let me, let me tell you what these three areas are. The first one is this, personal time. We're going to talk about what does that mean, personal time. The next one is corporate time, what we do together. We'll talk about that. And then the last one, we'll explain this, in between time. So let's look at each. Here's the first one. How do we cultivate a heart of worship? How do we find the greatest satisfaction? Here it is. In order first to have greatest satisfaction in Jesus Christ, we've got to know him. Well, we've got to know who he is. We've got to be able to hear from him. You and I have an opportunity, personal time. We have an opportunity each and every day to do this. And you've heard this before, to sit down, to open up a Bible, and to read it, and to let God speak into us. And when that happens, here's what, what, here's what takes place. We get directed. We get guided. We get reminded. We get little warnings that say, stay away from that. Go this route. We get little remindings. Okay, here's who you are. Huge things. I was meeting with a small group of young guys this week on, on Tuesday morning, and, and they, we, were, um, we were sharing what we've been learning and, and whatnot, and they just finished the New Testament, and now they've begun the Old Testament together. And one of the guys um, spoke up, and he you know, got out his little journal and was sharing different things that he's been reading, and I just, I just sat there, and I just thought to myself, okay, think about this. This guy is choosing, he's worshiping God with his life. And I thought, okay, how's this going to play out for him? Let's say he keeps this up. Let's say, what's this going to look like for him in 20 years or so? Think about that. He's worshiping, he's worshiping Christ. Don't miss this. Potentially the most important habit that you could put into your life in 2014 is this. It's to have a daily time where you connect with Jesus Christ, where you worship him, where you open up his word and you read it. Pick a place, pick a time, and enjoy your heart meeting with Jesus Christ. Can't replace it. That's personal time. Let's look at the next way that we can cultivate a heart of worship, a heart that says, I am most satisfied in Jesus Christ and God alone. Corporate time. This is what we do when we all come together. Uh, this is a practice that the church, the church worldwide has been doing the last 2,000 years. Get this, over 300,000 churches in the U.S., millions around the world, different continents, different cultures, different languages, different ethnicities are all doing what we're doing this weekend. They've gathered together and they are worshiping Jesus. I mean, it's happening in all sorts of forms from those that are doing it in secret, maybe in a place like China, to churches that are meeting in a prison, to churches that are meeting at a school, to a theater, to a church meeting in a home, to churches meeting in an auditorium. And for about 50% of, of that time, these churches are all doing the same thing. They are worshiping God through song. I can't tell you how thankful I am. I was thinking about it again this morning, sitting over there as we were worshiping. I can't tell you how often I think to myself, I am so grateful for Rob Hockney and the way that he leads us in worship week after week. Because here's the thing, Rob knows worship is not about him. It's about Jesus Christ. And so what does he unapologetically call out of us? He points us, worship Jesus Christ because he is worthy. I love that. That's a blessing. Throughout the scriptures, we see this pattern 
that the people of God, they worship through song. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. It wasn't Rob's idea. He's smart, but he didn't come up with that one, right? This isn't novel to Brookside. Think about this. In the Old Testament book of, of Job, it says that when creation was being formed, that the, that the stars and the angels and creation, it sang. It sang worship. When the Israelites, when they were delivered, right, when they came out of bondage, the people gathered together, and what did they do? They sang. They sang. When David had this battle with Goliath, the people got together and they celebrated, but they just didn't throw an ordinary party. They threw a big party, but then they worshiped. They sang. When the angel Gabriel, that angel appeared to Mary and said, Mary, you are young and you are a virgin. You are going to bear a son. When Mary got this news that would have floored her, and in a lot of ways it would have just, I mean, I can't imagine. What did she do, though, afterwards? She sang. When the announcement of the coming of the Messiah was delivered to these shepherds, these frightened shepherds, what did the angels do? They sang. In Matthew chapter 26, the Lord's Supper happens. Jesus is about to be executed, and this group of people that are his followers, they're gathered together, and what did they do in response? They sang. When Paul and Silas, when they're sitting in jail, they start singing and their chains come off and the doors of the prison come flying open. What were they doing in that process? They were singing. They were worshiping. And I've got to think that out of all of those examples, there were some poor singers in the crowd, right? The Bible closes with many angels in songs of worship. It's all over the scriptures, all over I want to read to you Psalm 100 because this psalm is all about the, really the hows and the whys of worship. Look with, look, at, look with me at this. Verse 1. It says, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Now, think about this. Not, it's not reserved. It's not like hold back. It's shout to the Lord all the earth. It's expressive. Verse 2. Worship the Lord with gladness. You could insert here, worship the Lord with the heart that's counted its blessings. Life will be tough, but we can count blessings still. It says, come before him with joyful songs. Why sing to him? Why worship? Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now think about this for a second. We are his. You belong to God. You are not alone. You are his. We are his people talks about sheep there, and our view of sheep isn't too great, and that's okay, but think about this. What does a good shepherd do for sheep? It lays down its life. It protects them. This psalm isn't about the sheep. This song is about the shepherd. Verse 4, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, and I love this, and his courts with praise. Now, I couldn't help get this image out of my mind. When we come through those doors, think about this psalm. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts that kind of laid back, enter his courts with praise. It's as though we're saying, this is thank you time. It's as though we gather together after a week of life and we say, this is thank you time. Give thanks to him, it says, and praise his name. Verse 5, why? Why do all this? Here it is. For the Lord is good. Life isn't always good, is it? Many of you are going through tremendous trials. 
Life isn't always good, but it says the Lord is good. We can bank on that. And then this next one, and his love endures forever. Here it is. His faithfulness, what does it do? It continues through all generations. This is an incredible picture here. This is a picture of older generations worshiping shoulder to shoulder with younger generations, proclaiming the faithfulness of God, proclaiming that his love endures forever. And so let me encourage you, if you've been walking with Jesus Christ for a long time, for a lot of years, know this, you model what you find and what you express your satisfaction in when you worship. When you worship, what you're doing, you're modeling for everyone around you, you're modeling, okay, this is what I find my greatest satisfaction in. Younger generations, worship with passion. Go hard after Jesus Christ unapologetically unapologetically. Why? Because he's worthy. He is so good. It's a journey you'll never regret. Encourage older generations with the way that you pursue Christ. You know, sometimes we get caught up in things like, well, the music seems a little bit too loud, or others will say, well, it seems a little bit too soft, and you could name, fill in the blank with what we might come up with. But remember this, it's not about us. It's not about us. Worship, it's about him. It's about the one whose love endures forever. It's about the one who's been faithful from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. That's why we worship. When we come together, and this is no small thing, what we're doing is we are declaring after a week of life, we are declaring that we as a people that we're not going to worship our stuff, that we're not going to worship the accolades of other people, that we're not going to worship our career, that we're not going to worship our bank account or our security. We're saying we're not worshiping those things. We're coming through those doors. We're entering the gates, and we're saying, out of thanksgiving, I'm going to have some thankful time right now, and I'm going to worship God because he's worthy, because his love endures forever. He's amazing. He's worthy. Take one last turn with me. I'll be really brief on this one. The other time that we worship God, the other time where we say, you know what, I'm going to find and I'm going to express my greatest satisfaction in Christ, it's in the in-between times. Lots of times we can get pretty tactical with our worship. We can think, well, it is when I open my Bible, that's worship, and it is when we come to church, and we can put those things in some pretty small boxes, but think about this for a second. If we do that, we really limit some major opportunities to find and express our greatest satisfaction in God alone. Think about the in-between times. You can worship Christ anytime. You can worship him at work, at home. You can worship Christ when you're talking to a friend. On Thursday morning, I was coming from a, an early morning meeting, and I was driving east on L Street, and, and the sun was rising. And I'll tell you what, that was my peak worship moment of the week. That was in-between time. That wasn't planned when you seek God, whatever it is, when you seek God, when you live in relationship with him, that's worship. You know, you might be here this morning and uh, you hear all these things about worship and, and, and you can identify this really easily and maybe even you would say, I've got a major roadblock to worshiping Christ in my life and it's, just, it's been in your mind since I started talking. And I want you just to be encouraged this morning because God knows what that, that is. He, he knows very clearly and you, my prayer for you this morning is that you would have a conversation with God and then you would find freedom. And the way that you might, the way that really we all can really worship Christ this morning is built right on this reality. It's because each and every one of us are forgiven. Each and every one of us are forgiven. We can be forgiven. 
I was thinking about this message on Thursday night and this whole topic of worship. And, and right as that was happening, I was doing this, uh, we're doing this little remodel project in one of our, in the bathroom in our house. And <clears throat> one of those projects, you know, that you think is going to take a month and it takes 18,000 months and, you know, and, and so I'm working on that and the kids are playing and the playing was going well, three young kids. And, and all of a sudden the playing turned into fighting and, and then, you know, a little screaming and then two kids crying. And I mean, just one of those height emotional times, right? And, and so I walked out in just frustration with them and I got right down on their level and I said, enough. But I didn't say it like that. I didn't say it quite that pastoral, you know. I, I said it with a little bit more emotion. And, and, um, and so I, you know, I apologized to them and whatnot and we talked about it. And, and then later on, about 10 minutes later, I was back on the project and I said to my daughter who was in there with me, I said, Ashlyn, I said, oh, I just hate it when I do that. I hate it when I just lose it, you know. I'm thinking, oh, I'm speaking on worship this weekend. This is great preparation for that, you know. And, and so I, I walked out of that, that bathroom, and I walked over to my toolbox to get a different tool. And as I'm bending over, it was as clear as day. The, the, I, I sensed the Lord whisper to me, Jeff, you can worship me anytime because you can be forgiven. And I just want to say to you this morning, probably the greatest thing that we look to God and we say, God, would you, are you worthy of worship? Yeah, you're worthy of worship. Why? Because at the end of time, my sin does not need to count against me. I can worship Christ because I am forgiven. We're going to take communion this morning. And communion, what that is, is it's a way for followers of Jesus Christ. It's really, it's a, it's a tradition that's been happening for, for thousands of years where we say we worship Jesus we remember his body when we remember his blood. We remember his body that was broken, and we remember his blood that was poured out on our behalf. And so what we're going to do is a little bit different this morning. We're going to give you some time, and, and you're going to take communion on your own. And I just want to remind you, as those trays go around, make sure you reach down deep, grab, grab two cups. And um, parents, you use your own discretion as you lead your families uh, through this. Know that we do have an open communion, and so if you are a guest here with us, um, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we would welcome you to take part in communion. But what we do with communion is we, we pause and we just say, before we take those elements on our own this morning, we say, Lord, I worship you. I worship you because I'm forgiven, because you paid a penalty I couldn't pay so that I could know you and have life eternal uh, with you. And so, um, so Rob's going to play for us in the background and, and um, sing over us. And so I would encourage you, just have a time where you worship Jesus this morning because you're forgiven, okay?